0: Welcome to the Chi Alpha UNC Podcast. We're excited that you decided to stop by. This weekend, we're at Fall Salt 2021, our annual fall retreat. This weekend, we have Nathan Cole, Operations Director for our National Movement, Chi Alpha Campus Ministries USA. In our first session, Nathan lets us know that our identity is in our belonging to God. This message was recorded on September 25th, 2021 at the Sunrise Resort and Conference Center in Garden City, Utah. Make sure to come back to hear parts two and three of this powerful series. Come as you are, leave as a new creation. Nathan, would you mind joining me on stage? Can we give him a welcome?
1: the standing ozac you got my back i love it the rest of you can join him tonight whenever i share again um i'm feeling good i mean you guys are rowdy if you're you're excited to be here this is my first fall salt do we have any first timers first fall salts in the house i love it I slept good last night i got to actually sleep in the wwe arena downstairs so that was fun there was like a pro football game going on it was really interesting um, Nate and Lindsay know uh, one of my many gifts is my humility. So just, I'm from Texas, really proud of it. It's a spiritual gift I have. And so they they, they rented me a Ford Fiesta to drive from Salt Lake City. Do you know what a Fiesta is? Me neither, okay? It's like two, you do? That says a lot. What's your name? Joel. Joel, listen, Fiesta is the kind of car Joel would drive. Like, I'm just saying. It wasn't even his first car. He, like, saved up for it. It was a big deal in his life. I don't know what a Fiesta is, but it's, like, the most economy-level car. So I get to the checkout thing, and I wait for an hour, and I finally get up there. It's 100 people in line. And they said, we don't have your Fiesta ready. So they gave me a 2021 convertible Ford Mustang. So, so like, this, that white convertible out there. Uh, I got to drive that to Bear Lake my first time here. Absolutely stunning. Like, my eyes are playing tricks on me. I'm from the desert, of West Texas. So, when I came around the corner and saw this, ah, this is overwhelming. It's beautiful. There's no place in the world I'd rather be. Really happy to be with you. This weekend, I just want to share with you um, three core messages from my life. And so, it's going to really revolve around three big ideas. The first is identity, as we're going to talk about this morning. This evening will be like this central life message of mine on this idea that is so central to the story of Jesus and the gospel and forgiveness. And then we will commission things off with a word from God that I think is really timely for the season we're living in on awakening and how that's connected to suffering. It's going to be a good time. We're going to love it. Um, But before we jump in, I've written a prayer, just kind of a generic prayer that I want to invite you to pray with me as we just position our hearts to receive from God. And I would say if you are even a fraction as rowdy about hearing from God as you are about having fun, which is good. We love fun. Then God is going to take a mile. If we give him an inch, he takes a mile, right? So if you're comfortable, I'm going to say this prayer, and I just want you to think about what we're saying and repeat it back to God, okay? If you're not comfortable, that's okay too, but it's just positioning our hearts. Father, we know you are here. Say that together. We know you are near. Make us aware of what you are already doing Help us to set aside every distraction, every weight, every breaking relationship, every struggle, and every fear. God, we surrender what we cannot control. We release our past, we release our future. We give you this weekend. We give you this moment. Open our ears. Open our hearts. We are listening. It's more than a trite prayer, Abba. We are genuinely interested in what you have to say, more than what Nathan or Ryan or Nate or Duncan could say, more than what Reese is hearing from you. I believe that you speak the heart language of every woman and every man here, that it's not an accident. God, that you've brought us all the way out to this beautiful place so that we could encounter something even more beautiful in the love that you're sharing through the community that is present today. Lord, we pray that you would help us to receive, understand, and live in this real love that only you could demonstrate. You're so good, Abba. We really are listening. Open our hearts. In Jesus' name. God is good. All right. Hey, I want to talk to you about real love. Does anybody know how we define love in Chi Alpha? Bonus points. Unselfishly. You got it? Brr, rr, rr, mumble. Yep, she's got it right here. Unselfishly choosing the highest good of another. I like it. yeah, yeah. This is what real love is, and we're going to kind of work to redefine this around these three ideas, the first being that of identity. And when you hear the word identity, I think a lot of questions come to mind. This is something that is so central to who we are. It's like this journey that we're all on to figure out who am I, what am I here for? And if you think about that question in light of how the world answers it, there's a lot of ways that this temporary planet we're on tells us that we should identify ourselves, right? The world says we should find our identity in our gender In our politics, in our academics, in our family of origin, in the amounts of money, in the areas that we're studying, and where we're from, and all those things. Even as you're meeting new friends here this weekend, think about the questions you often ask. Like, hey, where are you from? What are you studying? Are you single? You know, those important things you're trying to (laughs) figure out, right? And (laughs) I know it's really tempting, and, and on the surface level... That we're trying to figure out a little bit about who we are and who others are. We're trying to put our best selves forward. And in that space, it's very, very tempting to just share all the stuff you're good at. Like me sharing about how humble I am. But the truth is, I want you to really check this out. When we share our strengths, it creates competition. Like I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, like my homeboy over here. Part of the reason I'm a very humble man is because we have five Super Bowls. None since my children have been alive. But... You know, when you share your strengths, it creates competition. But when you share your weakness, it creates community. That's worth repeating. As you're connecting with each other this weekend and with God, you have an opportunity to put your best foot forward and to try to, you know, find that MRS degree you're searching for. And you can share your strengths. That's okay. But I want to encourage you to be real and to share your weaknesses. And that's what I want to do with you. Rather than just sharing all of these amazing God stories and mountains and, you know, just the beautiful Bear Lake kind of pictures, the Instagram version, I want to get down right into the middle of the hardest things that I've ever walked through. And as I do that, I want to just tell you right up front, this is not for pity. This is not to invite you into my pain. This is to invite you into my victory. Because it is only by the grace of God that I stand before you. If it were not for the love of God, I would be hopelessly lost, strung out, and addicted like the majority of my family. I come from uh, a really interesting household where my mom found Jesus when I was young. She was this sold-out, like, Holy Ghost woman. There's a difference between Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost. You know what that is? It's like how old you are. So (laughs) she was, like, part of this old-school, like, Holy Ghost kind of community, which believed in the power of God. Like, if you just look out that window and think about Bear Lake and these mountains and everything that God created at the macro level from the stars all the way down to what we're seeing, it implies that there is a creator. Right and if we just believe like if God can create everything that we see on the macro and at the infinitesimally small micro level that he could also heal bodies that he can set addicts free he can do whatever he wants right and that's what my mom discovered she let go of her addictions when i was young on the far end of the other spectrum my dad was a cocaine addict and lost in addiction and abuse and it created a lot of tension in my childhood so i remember just going to these old school things called revival like i had a drug problem as well my mom dragged me to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. All the different things were happening. Thanks for the sympathy dad joke. there. Laugh, I appreciate it. And, uh, and I remember going to these services. She's, th- she's coming at me. I'm going to back up. Did I spit on you? No? Okay, well, I will, so forgive me. Let me, let me reload real quick since you're doing the same. Mm. Laughter plows hard hearts. So I remember going to these, like, revival services, and when things would go along, I was just encountering the power of God and seeing addicts being set free and people walking in freedom, and then I'd come home, and my dad would be so upset. He'd be outside waiting, just angry. And I learned to pray, one of Northeast Mustang um, in Andrews, Texas, behind a little yellow door, just hearing the abuse. And, and trauma was a big part of my personal story in my childhood, and so that was kind of the tension and the dichotomy that I grew up in. And yet, when I was about six, seven years old, I was diagnosed with a bone disease in my hip. I was at the Shriners Hospital for Crippled Children and was in a wheelchair for a while. And over time, God healed me of this bone disease. And I just was like set free. I was so excited to see that God could not only create everything that we see out here, but He could grow back bones. He can set people that were full of shame and make them very confident in who He's called them to be. And so I knew that God could heal. So my mom was diagnosed with colon cancer when I was 15 years old. I have a little brother, seven years younger. He was only eight years old. And I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that because God had healed me of this disease I had, and I'd seen him do the same for others, that he was going to heal her. And just the way I understood it, I remember finding a journal quite recently where I was 15 years old, just like, God is going to be so glorified through this, and my dad's going to be saved and I had everything figured out because I was, I was really full of faith at a young age. I had made a decision to follow Jesus. But unfortunately, I was also full of pride and full of arrogance. And I knew how God was going to write my story. And when I was 16, I was on a choir tour in South Carolina. And I never would have went on this tour had I imagined that there was any way possible that God wasn't going to heal my mom. It, it progressed very rapidly, stage four colon cancer. They brought in home hospice and cha- chaplains to... Tell me what was coming, and I was in full denial, full of faith, full of pride. And underneath a palm tree outside of Hard Rock Cafe, with all of the choir sitting on the bus, looking down, a sponsor walked up to me and said, Nathan, your mother just passed away. So just picture this, 16 years old, a dad that has lost an addiction, a young brother that's only 8 years old. And the story that I would have written would have looked very different, right? I mean, I just imagined this was the moment. God was going to bring her back from the dead. My dad was going to see the truth and follow after Jesus as we had been praying every single day that I could remember. And yet God had a different plan. I was so overcome with shock and sorrow and grief. I fell underneath that palm tree and I literally prayed, God, bring her back. I had no capacity to imagine how he could do anything different than what I thought was best. 16 years old, I had the universe figured out, right? Some of you are still there. You know what's best, right? If only I could control this situation. And I'll tell you, it's been 20 years since that day, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I don't say that tritely. Losing my mom, thrusting me into a place of desperate dependency on Jesus was the best thing that ever happened in my life. Up until that point, as I said, I was full of faith and pride. These two things should not go together. Um, and, And I'm not the man that I want to be in this area, as humble as I want to be, but I'm also not the man that I was. And so a lot of that pride began to break off of me. And I began to be open to how God's plan sometimes is much bigger than what we think. And I began to search for a real identity in what God had destined me to be and what my mom had prayed over me that would not really have been as possible if things had went the way I wanted. So you can imagine that tension after she dies, I'm left in the home raising my brother. My dad worked in the oil field, very, very hard worker, but gone most of the time. And the times that he was home, I I struggled even more. And so I felt like for some reason at 16 that I needed to defend God, even to my dad. And that led to an increase of tension to the point when I was 18, I moved off to East Texas to go to University, first one of my family, even to this day to ever graduate from college, God gave me an amazing opportunity on scholarship to go and there helped to pioneer a student-led Chi Alpha at Texas A&M Commerce. And in those years, we saw students come to Christ from Malaysia and Vietnam and China and India and all over the world. And it was just the greatest, wildest ride of my life. I remember from a young age being called to be a pioneer missionary. Just not knowing what that meant. Thinking that meant I had to move to Africa and cut through the brush, you know, and be where there was no electricity. Since then, I've discovered they actually do have electricity in Africa. Um, been there. It's quite a beautiful place. And, and yet, God just redirected my path and showed me how there was something called campus missionaries. And we submitted our life to Texas A&M Commerce, just pursuing the call of God there. And for many, many years, just saw amazing miracles happen. But in the midst of those miracles, there was still strife suffering and challenges. I remember after being there just a couple of years, my childhood best friend who was 25, he moved out to be with us at university. His name was Scott, and he's the kind of guy that would try anything twice. You know, like you'd give him five bucks, and he would definitely swim all the way across that. He'd find a way. Um, you got people to try stuff once, he would do anything twice, anything for five bucks. I always kept cash on me. Cash was like before like Venmo and Apple Pay. We used to have these little paper dollars. Anyway, um, transfer a Bitcoin. And and Scott you know was just like in this zeal for life, just living at his fullest and at twenty five years old, he went into a coma when his uh, on his one year anniversary, unexpectedly, he had a six week old daughter, and on her six weeks and his one year anniversary, he ended up in ICU I flew out to West Texas, drove to Albuquerque as quick as I could get to the ICU waiting room, and while I was in there, he took his last breath at twenty five years old and And the reason I bring that up is one of many examples where Jesus has leveraged suffering as an invitation to intimacy. If there is a subtext in these messages this weekend, as we talk about identity, forgiveness, and awakening, this is it. Suffering is an invitation to intimacy. And I know that's kind of hard for some of us to swallow, but this is part of the message that Jesus came to live out in the incarnation. When he came to walk as we walked, and to suffer as we've suffered to show us a better way that we could lean into the father and not allow it to push us further from God, but allow it to push us even more desperately into his arms so that he can hold us just like we would want to hold one of our kids that are struggling. And I remember these distinct lessons that God really helped to shape in these times with my mom. It was a big message of trusting in God and letting go of pride and thinking that I had everything figured out. And and with my childhood best friend Scott that died at 25. The message was really for me a reminder of how we are called to weep with those who weep. I remember being in the hallway with Scott's new wife shortly after he died and she said, Nathan, when you go home tonight, you have Tiffany, that's my wife, 16 years. And she said, you know, I I have no one. I have this baby. I don't have a husband to raise her. And, And it hit me for the first time Almost 10 years after my mom died, what my dad had lost. You know, he was lost himself. But to think about what it would be like to lose your other half, you know? And just learning that empathy that only God can bring to really weep with those who weep. One of the most prolific texts in the scripture, John 11, just shows the way that God responds to suffering. That when Jesus was with his friends and Lazarus had died and being omnipotent, knowing what he would do in raising him from the dead, he's still in these two. Words demonstrated the compassion of God, Jesus wept. And so I don't know what you've been through. Um, As we kind of unlock a little bit more of my story this weekend and we choose not to just celebrate our strengths but to actually leverage and deepen into our weaknesses together, I pray that you will find that suffering is an invitation to intimacy and that you're not suffering alone because suffering. And, and sharing our weakness does something, and it builds solidarity, right? I mean, just seeing that Dallas Cowboys star on your hat, dude, I'm just like, man, that's my bro. We are suffering together. <laughs> and we're going to beat the Eagles, so it's going to turn around. But, but if I asked everyone in this room that's been impacted by cancer to stand to your feet, you can imagine, even though I don't know your name, don't know your story, there's this bond of solidarity, right? And the question is not whether or not we will suffer, The question is, what are you going to do with it? If you're human, to be human, especially if we're going to unselfishly choose the highest good of another, it's going to involve a lot of pain. That's the definition of love. Jesus modeled that for us. The first message I want to share with you is this idea that real love is a gift. Real love is a gift. Real love cannot be taken. It's not something that you have to earn. This is so hard for a Western mind. It's really difficult for a college student in America to really grasp because so much of our livelihood is based around performance and getting graded based on expectations that are created by culture, not only in the classroom, but in every sphere of life, including now our everyday lives that are lived on Instagram, right? But real love is a choice, unselfishly choosing the highest good of another. And before we can get to how we do that in forgiveness and awakening for others, we have to embrace fully, even if you're already a son or daughter of God, there's more for you to understand about receiving the love of God. I've been running this race for a while now. And just as recently as this year, I felt like God has opened up my heart, my mind, my soul, my spirit, my emotions, even more to understand the importance of receiving. Did you know when you give, But that's less vulnerable than receiving. When you give, and that's good. I'm glad we have an amazing staff team and other small group leaders that are here that are giving and giving. But this weekend, I gotta tell you, like, when you're giving, you're in control. When you receive, like truly receive the love of God not that you earned or that was based on your righteousness or anything that you've done when you receive the gift of the true radical love of God that he unselfishly chose your highest good the scripture says before we even knew him right he formed us in our mother's womb fearfully and wonderfully made intricately woven in the depths of the earth no person here is an exception to that rule you were created with a destiny as we talked about week one at CSU, right? That's destiny God has on every single person. And just like John the Beloved, Jesus loves you. Just as we talked about in the Kingdom Culture series, right? At USC? USC? No? What's it called? UNC. 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 <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. UNC. Uh, God loves you. And this is a message we've got to keep hearing over and over and over and over again. Because it's something that you can't earn. Real love. Like real love. Not lust. Not not indifference, not selfishness, not like whenever we just flatter people so we can get something back from them. But real love—it's a gift. And and I, th- I can think of no better text to look into than Matthew chapter three. If you have your Bible or your Instagram device, you can turn that off and go over to the Google machine, or it's on the screen. Matthew three sixteen. And before we jump into this text, I just want to give you a little bit of context for what's going on. Um, Sunday morning, that's tomorrow. Dude, there are some women and men of God. They're going to go public with their faith. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be radical. Is there anybody here that you already know you want to be baptized tomorrow? Would you be so bold? Just give me a little hands up. Anybody yet? Yeah! Hey, listen. Let's go. Let's go. I love it. This is is the deal, man. Baptism is one of these things that is an outward expression of this internal reality that's already happening, right? And I want you to understand just a little bit of context. This word baptizo in the Greek comes from the Hebrew word tava. In Genesis 1, the first time this word is used is when the, the waters are hovering. And it's really, in the Hebrew, it means a collection of water. The same thing happens in Exodus chapter 7 whenever this plague happens, and they're really revealing that God is bigger than the Egyptian gods, and the collection of water, that teva that comes together, is turned into blood, and then again and again throughout the scripture, you see this in the third book of the Bible, in Leviticus chapter 11, there's this string of laws about being unpure, and if you come into contact with this, you have to be purified, and you come into con- and it's like, it's a real downer. I mean, I, I don't recommend <laughs> Leviticus 11, except that there's one verse right in the middle that's contrasting all of the others, and it is this old Hebrew word, tava, where we get the idea of baptism, and it says, but there should be a collection of water, a stream that purifies. And so what happened in the culture of Judaism, the, basically the backbone of our faith that Jesus would have come in context when he was baptized in Matthew 3, is that they set up all these little mikvahs, these little bit pools or collections of water, all over the ancient Near East so that people could purify themselves at special moments in their life when they needed to be purified from coming into contact with something unclean. Whenever there was inauguration of a new season of life, for many that meant when they were married, when they came of age, when they were going to the temple, hundreds of times a Jew would have lowered themselves into the mikvah to represent the purification that would come connected into this story that is laced throughout the entire scripture. So when we come to Matthew 3 and you have this guy named John the Baptist and you're like, "Cool." What does that mean? John the Baptist was a Levite. He was a priest, right, that predated the SBC. Anybody like from the Southern Baptist Convention? Um, this actually was like the, the OG Baptist guy, right? And he, he was leading a renewal movement out by the Galilee. Imagine this big body of water. I've actually been there in the ancient Near East and he's baptizing people in this dirty river called the Jordan River. And people are coming and they are fulfilling something that would have been very much in line with the cultural expectation of purification and of cleansing. But this one was a little bit different. John the Baptist said of Jesus the Messiah, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Not just to cover it up because in the Old Testament system, Just like those mikvahs where you had to baptize yourself hundreds and hundreds of times. He makes his declaration that Jesus, the Messiah, is coming and he's going to have this new baptism, not only in water, but that he is the Lamb of God that doesn't just cover up the previous year's sins as they did in the Day of Atonement and all of the countless sacrifices that are laced throughout the Old Testament in order to purify yourself so that you could be in right standing with God. Jesus came not to abolish but to fulfill all of that law, not only in his sacrifice on the cross, but also as exemplified in Matthew 3 when he models For you and everyone else here tomorrow morning that's going to get dunked in that hot tub. It's going to be really warm. It's going to be awesome. Um, And it's not going to be nearly as dirty as the Jordan River. Jesus is modeling this. So let's look at what happens in the text. There's a ton of history leading up to this moment. Um, Matthew chapter 3. I'll start in verse 16. It says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. So you have a picture of the Trinity, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit right here, because listen to the booming voice of God of all the things that could be said over Jesus. And I want you to be reminded that this is before Jesus performed a single miracle, right? Right? This is before he turned the water into a party. This is before he said to the guy with like skin issues, bro, I got you. And he healed him and he touched the leper that was like on the edge of society that would have made him unclean. And yet when he came into contact with Jesus, he became clean. To the man that was cutting himself that couldn't be contained by chains that was full of demons, Jesus set him free before any of that stuff, even raising the dead like Lazarus. No public proclamation that we are aware of whatsoever. And yet before Jesus did any public ministry, the booming voice of God, Matthew chapter 3, says what? In 17, behold, a voice from heaven said, that's my boy. That's my boy. B-O-I, boy. That's my boy. Do you see it in the scripture? I want you to grab this. Look, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I got three kids. I got a 13-year-old, which is weird, super weird. Lots of changes. I got a 10-year-old. I got a 5-year-old. Guess what? I let them sleep inside almost every night, and no, none of them have a job. Every night they sleep inside. It's a joke. You can chill. Don't call. Don't call CPS. Why? Why do I give all of my money, time, and attention to 10 hours, of week? 10 hours a week my daughter is in dance, okay? And most of it is like during you know, the free time I'd like to hang out. Why, why would we spend thousands of dollars a year? Why would we spend more than I spend on my entire education for these kids to eat and to have friends and to go do? It's not because of what they've done. I ask my kids almost every day, why do I love you? I don't know why you're laughing. That wasn't a joke, but I'll take it. Um, Why do I love you? My daughter, just every time she says, because I'm yours. Think about it. Why does does Jesus love you? Man, it's it's not because you're a good small group leader. This dope hat, dude, I'm down with it. Jesus' sandals, the whole thing, the look is working, man. That's not why he loves you. It's, it's not the Instagram filters, guys. Ladies, it's not. It, it, isn't, it isn't the straight A's or F's or the gap year. It's not the beard oil, the mustache <laughs> wax. Those things aren't in themselves evil, but I'm telling you, God, and he loved you before you were in this form. He, he unselfishly chose your highest good before you could even utter a word. And Jesus models this in Matthew 3 when he goes in obedience as an example of repentance for us. And this changing, that's what baptism signifies. It is an inauguration to a new season of ministry, right? And before he scooped any ice, before he did anything, that was the sound that we heard. He, he gets this voice from the Father that says, this is my boy, this is my son in whom I am well. Please I want you to remember that. Remember that the scripture that we hold in our hands was not originally divided by chapter in verse. So I want to keep going just to the next sentence that is written by this brilliant dude named Matthew. This is my boy. I'm well pleased. The very next sentence. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Greek word there is ekbolo. It means that he was thrust into the wilderness. And this is another callback to this idea of suffering, that God sometimes pushes us into the desert, into the wilderness, into places where we can be even more dependent upon him, not because he is judging us, but because he trusts us. I'm gonna do that same thing in a question. What if the consequences, the pain, the challenge, the hysteria, the anxiety, the depression, the confusion, the broken relationships, all of the fear of financial, financial failure the family breakdowns that you're experiencing what if they are not because God is judging you but because he trusts you what if he's thrusting you into the wilderness like Hosea where he can speak tenderly to you that's what the scripture says in Matthew 4 Jesus led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil this is the fully formed enemy of God coming in a manifest way to tempt Jesus before he would begin his public ministry on earth that would forever shatter death, hell, and the grave. And what does Satan come and tempt Jesus with? Pay really close attention to this text. It says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hangry. (laughs) I believe Jesus experienced every emotion that we have felt. (laughs) Hangar is a real thing, man. 40 days, right? 40 days. Jesus is hangry. And Satan does not appeal to his physical appetite. But he questions the Son of God's identity. Look at this, verse 3 and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. This inauguration example that Jesus models. For us, reminding us that real love is a gift demonstrates that one of the chief objectives of Satan to still kill and destroy, to confuse and to lie is not about your anger and all the other obvious sins, but it actually is much more core than that. Here's my question If Satan, who's very real, we like to talk about how God has a plan for your life, and that's true, but Satan has a plan for your life too. To still, to kill, and destroy. That was his plan for my life. The more you hear of it, the more you'll know it's true. I had a lot of opportunities to go way, way, way into the deep end. And yet, by God's grace, he just pushed me further into that light we just sang about. Satan has a plan for your life. And his agenda to overtake this most critical moment in Christ's life before he goes public in his ministry is to question his identity. And so my question to you is, if Satan questions the identity of Jesus, the Son of God, how much more will he question yours? How much more does he want you to second-guess, to question your worth, your value? Every one of us were created in the image of God. Do you know the most valuable thing to God It's his glory, and he imparted that on humans when he breathed his life, the ruah of God, that breath that comes in that is from him, and we are his image bearers. Listen, you can can talk trash about me, but don't mess with that 10 year old girl, right? She's mine. I'd give anything for her. I remember this funny story of being in the church lobby, and my daughter was playing with her friends, and there's this little punk kid that uh, needed some fathering, and he was talking trash. (laughs) And he's like five, you know, and, and Crystalline comes up to me. That's her name. It means beautiful bear of Christ. And so Crystalline comes up, and she said, Dad, you know, Zayden has said something. I don't remember what he said. And I was like, it's cool. Just, just keep playing. No big deal. She comes to me a second time. Okay. All right. Sympathetic nervous system's kicking in. Fight or flight. I'm not a flight guy, just so you know. Um, and uh, she's crying this time. Big tears. You know, and I, and I just pulled her up close to me. And I I whispered in her ear secrets that only we knew about who she really was because he was questioning her identity, calling her names. And I said, when you know what your daddy thinks about you, it doesn't matter what silly boys say. And she said, okay, Dad. And she turned off the tears, which she's good at, and just (laughs) went to play. Then I cornered this joker, five years old, man. I'm not not making this up. I went right to him. I got down. I said, young man, you see that girl? In the black and white striped dress right there? Yeah. I said, that's my daughter. (laughs) No one speaks to her that way. Do you understand me? (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) The journey to discover who you are starts with knowing whose you are. We're all, we're all asking, God, who am I? What's my identity? Where am I going to find my worth and my value? The journey to discover who you are this weekend in a fresh new way, it starts with knowing whose you are. When my son turned seven years old, I wanted to take him on a daddy trip to New York City, uh, one of the best cities in the world, especially pre-COVID, man, this place is bopping, and um, we had saved up for years. I mean, I think the job, and Nate and Lindsay can attest to this, like the job of a parent of young kids is basically to say no all the time, right? That's just, that's the gig. No, you can't put that on your mouth. No, you can't play in the street. No, 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 no. Because we want them to live, you know, as long as possible. And so we're always saying no, 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 no. Well, I had determined on this daddy trip that it was my goal to not say no, Okay. So we went to New York City years in advance. We had planned. We saved up money. Kaysen had read a bunch of books, and his grandparents threw in some change, and we did everything. We went ice skating in Rockefeller Center. We went to Empire State Building Freedom Tower. We went to the Statue of Liberty, the Star Wars exhibition that was 50 bucks a pop. Sure, we'll do that. I mean, we did everything. We took a carriage through Central Park. We went to the Museum of Natural History and found all the little inside things from the movie. We did it all. New York City. For five days, stayed at Times Square. It was some of the most fun we've ever had, and I just committed to just say, yeah, you want to do that? Let's go. Let's do it. Let's go, and I remember going to the Lego store for the third time at the very (laughs) very end of our trip. All his money is gone, and and by this point, literally, we've spent thousands of dollars, right, and there's this stupid little Lego keychain that he really wants. It's a R2-D2 keychain. It's like three bucks, $3.99, you know, and we had been three times, and every time we go, he would look at that keychain and look at me, and I knew he wanted it, but I was waiting for him to ask. And so, I, this is the last day. We're about to get on a plane, and after spending thousands of dollars, we go to the Lego store, and he says, "Dad, can I hold it?" So I pulled the little R two D two keychain, I put it in his hands. And if you, if you knew my son, Kason, his name means pure, and he's so pure and so shy and so innocent, and so soft spoken, nothing like me. Um, <laughs> no, he's, he is, but he's different in those ways. And, and he wouldn't just ask for himself. He never would, you know. And so we're just sitting there in the Lego store, and I'm just waiting for him to ask. And so he wouldn't do it. It's as if my seven-year-old son thought he was asking too much of me. And so finally, I just looked at him. and I said, son, do you want it? And in the sweetest, like, still whisper, he just said, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, and that was his favorite thing from the trip. I wish we would have started there, you know? Um, three or four bucks. Let me, as we close this morning, look, sometimes as small group leaders and as people that have families that are depending upon us as college students, we're thinking a lot about others' expectations on us. And sometimes, for whatever reason, we find it really, really hard to ask God for ourselves and to be put in that vulnerable place where we're receiving And not giving out. And this morning is about real love is a gift. It's a gift for every single person here. I need the real love of God in a fresh way. Like my seven-year-old who thought he was asking me too much. Sometimes we find it hard to ask God for ourselves to understand deeper revelation of his love or truth or whatever it is that we need but this morning we've come all the way to Utah what the heck man why not open our hands and open our heart and say God you're big enough and a lego keychain is no big deal to you so whatever it is that you have if it's cancer if it's chemistry if you have financial challenges whatever it is this morning I want to invite you to respond to this real love of God that is a gift in the core deepest part of who you are I know that God brought you here so that you could hear a deep revelation of who he has made you to be, not because of what you have done, but because of whose you are, because he has a destiny for every single one of you, and there are no exceptions. I don't care how much you've hated God, what you've said against him. God told me this morning as we were worshiping that there are people in this room that are absolutely buried in shame over their past. I got the image of just being buried all the way up to your neck, and it's like you can't breathe. You are so captivated by your past living in shame every day that you can barely even speak sometimes that you don't even know how to go on and that kind of shame has no remedy other than this real love of God that is a gift there are some of you here that your entire life you have heard a voice calling out to you to live in a different way and you've ignored it but it's never went away That voice softly in the background of your life when you were presented with opportunities to go one way or the other called you to a righteous road and sometimes you went the other way, but the voice never went away. And I'm telling you today, that is the voice of Jesus calling you as a daughter and calling you as a son to receive the real love of God. And there are no preconditions on this love. Every person here is a candidate for the kingdom of God. I want to invite the staff to go into the four corners that are here. I know we don't have a ton of room, But I believe there is something that happens when we physically respond, when we get out of our chair, and this is not at all about what other people think. When this young lady raised her hand to say, I'm going public with my faith to be baptized, was anybody like, oh, no, no, no. We're like, amazing, yeah, we're so excited. Why wouldn't we be? So that's why this morning I'm asking you, if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus and declared that you want to follow him for all the days of your life, then I'm telling you today is your day. And with every head up and every eye looking around, I want you to stand to your feet. If you're like, I'm serious, today is my day. I'm making a decision to put my trust in Jesus. I want to receive the identity that he has for me right now. You know that's you. Just stand to your feet. We want to celebrate with you. Come on, it takes one to have courage. Who's making that choice today? Come on, who else? Who else? Come on. Who else? Yes. Come on. Come on. And there are more. There are more this morning. Some of you need that identity just to be restored into the image of being a son or a daughter that you've been pouring out, but you haven't had him pouring in, and you want to receive that Father's blessing. All three sessions, I will be the last person standing in this altar, okay? And we'll have staff ready to pray to you. So as much time as you need, we're going to take it. We have free time after this, but there is no rush. We are here to meet with God, right? So as the band comes, I'm going to pray. I want to invite those of you that are standing, find someone to pray with, maybe a small group leader or staff person. I'll be here as well. And anyone else that is here, you want to see that identity restored. You want to respond. Kneel at your chair. Go to the window. Find a way to walk around and seek God in the language of your own heart. He is responding to you. Jesus, we love you. You're so good. You're so good, God. Restoring identity. Yeah. God, we say yes to you. And to your way, God, I pray that as women and men are responding, those that have courage to stand up, to get out of their seat, to ask for prayer. Listen, that is not a symbol of weakness. That is a symbol of courage and of strength. And we encourage you to take that step today. Jesus, would you put faith in us to trust you, Lord? Help us in our unbelief. Help us where we don't know which next right step to take and open our hearts because we are listening. We need you. You're good. Amen. All right, let's do it. Come on, let's respond. Let's find a place to pray. Let's press into Jesus
0: this morning. For more information, please visit xaunc.com or check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash xaunc. Our Instagram handle is at xaunc and you can find all of our content on YouTube by searching Chi Alpha UNC. Until next time, may the Lamb who was slain receive the reward of the suffering.